What is going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 12 of Courtside Views. I'm your host, Andrew Bostic. It comes to a point in everybody's NBA fandom where your team is going to be absolute trash. Whether you're the Lakers, the Celtics, the Knicks, or the Spurs, it comes to a point where your team's superstars are going to retire, leave in free agency, or get traded. I've known this as a Cavaliers fan because LeBron has left my team now twice on to Greer Pastures and won championships both times. So it hurts. I get it. I feel it. But there's always hope. There's always hope of looking at the mock drafts in November and December when you know deep down in your heart that your team is already out of the playoff race and you're hoping for the next LeBron James to fall into your lap from the NBA lottery. Unfortunately, that's not the case. There's a very slim chance, hence why it's called the lottery, of getting the number one overall pick. So you have to hope that your team has a competent front office and a great scouting department to be able to get the next diamond in the rough. Hopefully get the next Dame Lillard at the number six overall pick, or hopefully find a late second round pick like a Manu Ginobili at number 55. But what are they looking for? Do you want instant impact? Are you looking for long-term potential? Are you looking for a guy that can you know, lead to the promised land? There are so many things that go into it, and that's what leads to the fun of this. You see the teams like the Philadelphia 76ers going with the full process of years and years and the Sam Hinkie research and everything that goes along with it of what's the right thing. You see the Oklahoma City Thunder following that same route. You see the San Antonio Spurs not give up and just constantly retool and not really break into a full rebuild. Then you see championship tenors like the LA Lakers just completely fold down after winning back-to-back NBA championships and start from scratch and hope to rebuild through the draft. There really is no right or wrong answer. People have won and rebuilt from free agency, drafts, but usually your golden ticket is trying to get that number one overall draft pick and hope to find that guy. Today, today we're going to be talking about the rookies. We're going to be talking about rookie class and high performances and bottom performances. We're going to be touching the top five rookie performers and potential so far in the rookie class of 2021, as well as the unfortunate bottom performers of the 2021 rookie class. What does that mean? Well, let's get into it. A draft fit can really make a difference in a player's development. You've seen so many teams draft for talent versus fit, and you've seen players draft and go to teams where it's very guard-heavy and they're a point guard or a shooting guard, and teams that are loaded up on big men like the Philadelphia 76ers did when they had Joel Embiid, Nerlens Noel, and Jaleel Okafor all on the same team, all being drafted in the top six. Which route can you go? Well, usually if you go that route, you're probably going to end up on the draft bus category versus the draft star category. So, hopping into this, we got to start with the bottom NBA performers so far for the rookie season. And coming in at number five is none other than Davion Mitchell. I really like Davion Mitchell coming out of college. He was so cool, but he was coming at 23 years old. So, he was a 23-year-old playing against 18, 19, and 20-year-olds in college. And that's a massive age difference. So, I think it was a major factor of why he had so much success. And he is getting hit in the face with reality stepping into where he got drafted at number nine for the Sacramento Kings. That, of course, is going to lead you to a very bad path as a player getting drafted to the Kings organization because they have done a terrible job at identifying talent unless your name is Tyrese Halliburton or DeMarcus Cousins. For a player like Davion Mitchell, he was always going to be a 3 and D player. He showed great poise, a great jump shot, smart playmaker, and incredible defensive toughness. He's a small player. He's only six foot one, but he's built like a freaking Mack truck at 205, pure muscle. He's improved that he can guard one and two. And before the season, when they drafted him, knowing that they had De'Aaron Fox, Tyrese Halliburton, and Buddy Heald on the roster already, Luke Walden and the GM 
came out and said that they see three guard lineups of Davion, De'Aaron, as well as Tyrese, and that could be a potential lineup of the future. Well, we fast forward to this part of the season. Luke Walton's fired. Alvin Gentry absolutely hates the idea of playing three guards together, and Davion has really not had any chance to shine, and he looks very lost on offense. His defense has been as advertised, so I'm going to give him a lot of credit there. He's done a great job switching on to bigger players. You saw him kind of match up with Kate Cunningham in the Summer League, as well as a little bit during the NBA season, and he's been able to body up against a lot of bigger players. But on offense, his jump shot looks really really bad. He's only shooting 32% from three. He hasn't been able to find his footing at the paint, and he's getting blocked a lot, as well as just not really knowing what to do. Right now, he's fourth in the pecking order, and when you draft somebody in the top 10, you expect them to play pretty decent minutes, especially when you were a bottom lottery team. You know, you're not in the playoff team or the play in game like the Sacramento Kings are, so when you have a player like De'Aaron Fox, Tyrese Halliburton, and Buddy Heald, what the hell are you going to do with Davion Mitchell? If you're not going to start him, something has to give. He is 23 years old. What's the ceiling? What does the future look like for a player like Davion? It's not like you're getting a Dame Lillard-type impact right off the bat when you're drafting him at 22, 23 years old as a senior coming out of college. Davion really doesn't have much left, so when you're looking at it in two, three years, you're looking at a 25, 26-year-old player. Well, what's the difference? What's the change? Is he magically going to know how to run a pick-and-roll offense in the NBA? You know, is his jump shot somehow going to go to a 40-plus percent? It's really tough to gauge, but in this current King situation, unless they plan on trading De'Aaron Fox or Tyrese and moving Davion to, you know, full-time 30-minute-per-game running, I just don't see how he's going to be successful right now in this situation. I think that if I'm the Kings, you got to act fast and figure out if Davion's really your guy. And I know it sucks to say so early in the season, but like I said, being 23 years old, you got a damn short leash. Coming in at number four, I'm going Moses Moody, a guy who the Warriors GM came out and said that they were considering taking him at number seven over Jonathan Kaminga, and they were absolutely baffled that he was available at number 14 to draft him. Well, some of the other GMs picking one through 13 must have known something. I loved Moody coming out of college. He was a perfect 3 and D type, showed a little bit of secondary playmaking, and looked like an incredible athlete in Arkansas. But stepping into it so far, he has been outplayed by guys like Gary Payton Jr., Damian Lilly, and Chris Chioza for NBA minutes. He's only averaged 7 minutes per game in 25 minutes, and when he's in there, he has shot 35% and shot 28% from 3. He does not look like a fit, and yes, he's only 19 years old, so there's a lot of potential there. But again, draft fit is huge, and when you're playing for a team like the Golden State Warriors... They are championship robust right now. Klay Thompson is now healthy. That's another shooting guard to add to the lineup. You even got guys like Andre Iguodala playing a little bit of the two so far this season. Jordan Poole has stepped up. So you're looking at the NBA future here, and where does he fit along this timeline? And you've heard a lot of talk, trade speculation with the Bradley Beal stuff in the offseason with do they package a Kaminga, Moody, James Weissman package to you know bring a, a superstar in like a Bradley Beal. And I'm not necessarily too sure that that's the route they're going to go, but for a guy that was tapped NBA-ready at 19 years old, that says a lot. And that is a huge reason of why the Warriors did consider him at 14. Kaminga has done really well with his NBA body, being six foot eight, being 225, and being able to roll in and playing in the physical game. And Moody just looks overmatched. He looks like a you know a regular 19-year-old guy out there, and there's nothing wrong with that. But in two, three years, are the Warriors going to have that patience to 
be able to sit here and develop him like they have for guys like Jordan Poole. You know, they're not looking for lost seasons anymore. They're not going to be guys that are going to be in the lottery. They're going to be fighting for championships year in and year out when you have players like Steph Curry and Draymond Green on this team. And they have younger players like Andrew Wiggins, James Wiseman, and Kaminga that are going to be ahead of him in the pecking order. So at what point does Moody really break into that NBA rotation? And I don't really know. So being picked to 14, yeah, at the end of the lottery, but there are high expectations, especially when your GM does come out and say that he wanted to take you at seven. So for a guy like Moody to not be able to break in a rotation at a championship caliber team kind of does show me where we see his ceiling, that maybe he was ranked a little bit too high, that does he need to go to a shittier team to kind of break out of his potential? That doesn't really speak too highly of you know what kind of player he is. Coming in at three, I'm getting it to Trey Murphy. Trey Murphy did not do himself any credit being outplayed by his second-round counterpart, Herb Jones, who we'll talk about a little bit later, as in the starting lineup. Trey Murphy came in and was picked by David Griffin as the perfect fit in between Brandon Ingram as well as Zion in the perfect 3-and-D mold. He was a 40% shooter in Virginia, 6'7", 220, big-body guy that was able to switch on and really guard anybody 1-4. through four. We're going to fast forward to this part of the season. He's only averaging 14 minutes per game, and he is shooting atrocious at 34% and 32% from three. He has not looked like he fits so far, and yes, he is young, just like a lot of these players are. But they made the trade, and they flipped off and got Jonas Valanciunas. They moved back, and they identified him as a draft target. When you step into those shoes and know Zion hasn't been able to play, but Herb Jones being picked at 39 just does not look good for him so far. And he's going to have to prove that he can play fast or you're going to start to look at him in trade rumors that he's going to be off this team soon because being drafted in the first round, you got to recoup some value. And if you're not going to sign this guy to an extension, if he's not going to be able to prove that he can be an NBA starting caliber player, then at some point you're going to have to cut your losses, hope to get a second round pick for him and move on. Herb Jones has been tremendous and has been exactly what Trey Murphy was supposed to be, a 3 and D specialist being able to switch one through four and making an impact in the lineup from day one. Trey Murphy, when he gets the ball, looks completely lost on offense, does not look to attack the basket whatsoever, and when he shoots the threes, his form looks awful. He was such a smooth shooter at Virginia. I am very confused of what happened so far. When you get drafted at 17, there are some expectations. Yeah, it's the middle of the first round, but when you're a team like the Pelicans, kind of in between of that play-in, playoff tournament, it's really kind of interesting to see where Trey Murphy fits in the future of this team with Brandon Ingram, Zion, now Herb Jones. You know, can Brandon Ingram move on to the two guard and maybe Trey Murphy gets in this lineup? You have Nikhil Alexander-Walker as well as Devontae Graham. There is just only so much that can go around, plus Josh Hart. Josh Hart's a massive role player for this team, and they all kind of play that 3 and D role a lot better than Trey right now. And at 20 years old, he has some potential. Let's see how we can grow from it, but Herb Jones being picked in the second round makes his pick look a whole hell of a lot worse. Coming in at number two is the first player from Gonzaga, Corey Kispert. Corey Kispert was tabbed the best shooter in the draft in the past three to four years. He shot incredible at almost 46% from three and was able to do whatever, whenever he wanted at Gonzaga. The only problem is he played at Gonzaga. Playing at Gonzaga, I have always said, I'm a UNC fan. 
you're playing in the West Coast Conference. You don't get a lot of great competition. Your biggest competition is playing against St. Mary's. You really don't see a lot. You're able to absolutely body anybody that you want. Yeah, you're ranked in the number one for the entire year, but he really didn't see stiff competition. He was able to hit a bunch of open threes because he was able to do anything with Drew Timmy in the post, as well as Jalen Suggs bringing up the ball. When was he able to really show that he can do really much else? Well, that's kind of the problem. He can't do anything else. He doesn't rebound well. He doesn't make good passes. He is a strict run-gun shooter. And coming in, getting drafted at 15 to the Washington Wizards, who kind of have playoff aspirations. You have a player like Bradley Beal. They make that Russell Westbrook trade. Kuzma's playing out of his mind. Montrez is playing great. Daniel Gafford is proving to be a franchise center. Spencer Dinwiddie gets that big contract in the offseason. So they have expectations to you know, not be a playing team. They want to be a top six team, and they got off to a great start. They are coming a little bit back to earth. But Kispert was the plan as, as NBA-ready as he was as a shooter. He was going to come in, and he got Kyle, Kyle Korver comps. So for him to not be able to shoot, and so far in the season, he's only shot 32% from three. That's awful. When you're in the same conversation as Trey Murphy shooting the ball percentage, when you're in the same conversation as you know Davion Mitchell shooting the ball when you were light years ahead of them in college, really goes to show that can you really scout these Gonzaga players that well when they're just playing against strictly inferior competition? And that's the risk you take when you look at mid-majors like that. It's worked out with players like John Morant. It's worked out with players like Dame Lillard. But it burns you a whole hell of a lot more than it helps you. And for a player like Corey Kispert, he doesn't rebound. He doesn't pass the ball. And yes, he shoots 86% from the free throw line. He's getting there at less than half an attempt per game. So... He's, if he's not going to attack and he's not going to do shoot well, you're going to see Corey Kispert on the bus list very, very soon. And with guys like Denny Avia and Rui Hachimura fighting for playing time, he's going to get DNPs a whole hell of a lot more. And Corey Kispert needs to get his shit together or he is going to be out of the league and playing in Europe in two years. Coming in at number one is a player that I was not high on coming out of college and I am very, very happy to be able to talk about this. That's Jalen Suggs. Jalen Suggs, to me, is a master of none. Coming in six foot four, he was the NCAA darling. He led Gonzaga to a Final Four and was able to hit that incredible half-court shot to beat UCLA and push the team on to the national championship to play Baylor, where they eventually lost. Jalen Suggs was able to body, athletically, just anybody they put in front of him. Because, again, he's playing strictly inferior competition. He was getting a lot of open jump shots, so it made his jump shot look a whole hell of a lot better than it really was. And Jalen Suggs just is being shown where it really is. He, to me, I think the perfect player comp for Jalen Suggs, he's a smaller Evan Turner. Evan Turner coming out of Ohio State was this jack-of-all-trades, seven, great ball handler, point-forward type, but with no jump shot. Jalen Suggs is... Very similar in that aspect, just six foot four. He does not have a great trait, in my opinion, besides an incredible work ethic. He is an okay ball handler. He is an okay passer. He is an okay shooter. He is an okay defender. He has good size. He has proven that he cannot play the point guard, and he plays much better effectively next to a point guard like Cole Anthony than playing next to a shooting guard like RJ Hampton in those magic lineups. I'm very interested to see what he looks like when Markel Fultz finally comes back and seeing how he does playing with more of a pure passer like Markel. But for Jalen, he did get injured early. He had a little bit of issues there. But shooting 36% from the field and 25% from three on pretty high volume is not good. 
especially for a player being drafted in the top five. As a Cavaliers fan, I was just begging and pleading that we were not going to draft this man number three overall. There were so many rumors of, okay, we're going to sign Jared Allen to this massive contract. Maybe they're not looking to draft and bring Evan Mobley in. Maybe they don't believe in Scotty Barnes. Maybe Jalen Suggs is their point guard of the future and they trade Colin Sexton. I was begging and pleading for it not to happen, and I couldn't be happier with how it turned out. Jalen Suggs is so much of just an average basketball player. I think he's an incredible work ethic. I'm sure he's a really nice guy. But you don't draft nice guys and okay basketball players and role players in the top five of the NBA draft. Look at who went number six. Guys like Josh Giddy, His own teammate, Franz Wagner, looks freaking incredible and looks like he should have been drafted number five overall. But there's a lot of time left, and I get that. And it's always tough to do this so early, but it's so fun to talk about. And for Jalen Suggs, That's a crowded team, and the Magic have a lot of first-round picks, and they have a lot of young talent that they're going to be drafting players just strictly based off of best player available and not based off of draft need. So if next year in the draft they're looking strictly at shooting guards and point guards, Jalen Suggs could see himself on the bench and out of a starting spot sooner rather than later if they believe that Cole Anthony is the point guard of the future and in next year's draft they draft a player like Jordan Ivey, who they believe is the perfect complement to Cole Anthony. Jalen Suggs is taking his ass right to the bench. And that sucks to hear, and I'm sure Orlando Magic fans are pissed about that. But, you know, you have Franz Wagner. You drafted and traded Vucevic, and you're bringing in Wendell Carter in. You have Mo Bamba. You have Jonathan Isaac. Your front court's loaded. Chumi Okigi. Like, you have an absolutely loaded team on overall first-round picks. Tough decisions are going to have to get made. You're going to have to do a compound draft, and get all those assets to bring in one key player, but they're not in that position yet. They're the worst team in the NBA up there with the Pistons, and they just need to figure out what the hell they're doing. But Jalen Suggs missing, missing on a top five pick like Jalen Suggs, missing on a top six pick in Mo Mo Bamba. Yeah, you're able to hit on Cole Anthony, which is awesome. He looks great, but this was a stacked draft class, and missing out on a potential future player like Josh Giddey and maybe a Jonathan Kaminga type is going to be a huge the tough pill to swallow for the Orlando Magic moving forward. And it's always tough to kind of rank these guys, but they're showing a lot of their cards and who they are. And yes, players are always going to develop and get better with their skill set, but they show, like I said, who they are. They need to figure it out soon. And for a player like Jalen Suggs, Corey Kispert, Trey Murphy, Moses Moody, as well as Davion Mitchell, they're in the bottom five. When your team hits on a draft pick, It is one of the best feeling in all sports, whether it's the first overall pick or the 60th overall pick. And these five guys that we're going to talk about have the potential to be a franchise cornerstone and be a leading player in your team for 10 plus years to come. That is an amazing feeling, especially when your team sucks. So coming to number five, Franz Wagner. Being the second of a top eight pick for the Orlando Magic behind Jalen Suggs, Franz was supposed to be the perfect role player, the perfect glue guy to kind of make this team make sense with draft picks like Mo Bamba, Jonathan Isaac, Jalen Suggs, Cole Anthony, RJ Hampton. They have a lot of guys that just aren't really superstars. And Franz really didn't have that line on him. He was the perfect glue guy in Michigan, was able to lead this team, was a great secondary creator, has incredible size, and actually 6'8", 220, is a very sneaky athlete. But when Cole Anthony went down... He was able to step in and do a lot of point forward, which looked 
incredible. He popped off for a couple 30-point games, did battle with Jalen Brown when Jalen Brown popped off for that 51-point game heading into overtime. Franz Wagner is averaging 15, 5, and 3, and he's shooting 34% from 3. He has kind of a weird release and is a little bit slow, but I think if he speeds that up, he is shooting 83% from the free throw line. He has a lot of mechanics to work off of when he has time to set his shot. And I think if he does speed that up, you're going to see a guy that potentially could be an incredible secondary playmaker and a 40% three-point shooter. If this is what you're getting out of Franz Wagner right off the bat, you have a franchise cornerstone to build off of with the Orlando Magic. And you really can't say that about a lot of players over there. If you really believe in Cole Anthony and you believe in Franz, and yes, they gave Wendell Carter Jr. that big extension, but that's an easily tradable contract. Seeing what they're going to do with their big men is very interesting. Julie played Jonathan Isaac at the five. I think he balances really well with Franz and what he's able to do. But this kind of player is what you bank on. And to be able to get him at number eight when you potentially missed on your number five overall pick, it really gives John Hammond or the Orlando Magic a big pat on the back and saying, okay, we fucked up, but we're here. And I think that Franz is really going to be a huge player for this team moving forward. And I'm very excited to watch the Orlando Magic. And I know I'm not a lot of people are actually physically saying that, but Orlando Magic, we're rooting for you. Coming in at number four is Josh Giddy, the Australian demon. He has looked as advertised. His jump shot is not good. It's just not good at all. He's been very inconsistent shooting the ball, shooting pretty much around 30% from three and 40% from the field. But overall, his basketball IQ is through the roof. Josh Giddy has been the youngest player to record a triple-double in NBA history. He's averaging 11 points, 7 rebounds, and 6 assists. And while the Oklahoma City Thunder are in this massive rebuild, essentially kind of mirroring a little bit of the old Sixers process, they are letting Josh Giddy make all the mistakes in the world and learn on the fly. That is an incredible, incredibly long leash for an NBA player, and not a lot of young players get the keys right away. Being able to play next to a bona fide superstar in Shea Gilgis-Alexander makes his job a lot easier where he doesn't have to have the pressure of trying to do everything himself. He just looks so smooth with the ball out there. His passes are crisp. He's able to take risks and learn on the fly, and that is so key to his development. He's six foot eight, 205 pounds, and I think Giddy is going to take a lot of what LaMelo Ball is able to do because they are so comparable players. LaMelo has a far, far superior jump shot, but if Giddy is able to figure out that jump shot and become a 34 to 35% three-point shooter by year three, this dude could legitimately be what Melo's doing as a 20-point, eight-rebound, eight-assist player for the Oklahoma City Thunder moving on. That's insane. That's a massive hit. At number six, when people said you reach, they were looking at Josh Giddy as more as the early teens, potentially number 10 overall pick, to go out there and identify him as your guy and draft him at number six overall. That's huge. That's a massive hit for the Oklahoma City Thunder. And with Lou Dort, who is undersized, yes, at 6'4", playing the small forward position, those are three key guys. And honestly, a big reason the Oklahoma City Thunder are winning way too many games to tank for the number one overall pick. They got to figure it out fast. But that's a good problem to have. It's a good problem. You're creating winning habits a little bit. Yes, they were a part of one of the worst losses in NBA history. I get it. But Josh Giddy is a building block. Josh Giddy has the potential to be a franchise point guard at 6'8 for a very long time. And in Oklahoma City, you have to hit in the draft. You're not a free agent destination. You've seen it. And they have been incredible at drafting. Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, 
Serge Ibaka, James Harden, the list goes on and on. This front office just knows how to identify talent, and that's a huge reason of why they are able to get players like this. And for Josh Giddy, I'm super pumped to watch him in the future because I think he's got a lot, a lot of success moving forward. Coming in at number three was the, the biggest head scratch of the draft coming out, the number four overall pick, Scotty Barnes. Scotty Barnes only started one game in college, was a ACC sixth man of the year, and followed in the exact footsteps of Patrick Williams the year before, who was the number four overall pick from Florida State, who was a sixth man of the year in the ACC. It was very, They are very similar players. They are very similar body types. But Scotty Barnes has showed that he has a lot more offense in his game than Pat Williams does. He came out while Pascal Siakam was injured to start the year. He's averaging 14 points, 8 boards, and he is a great playmaker. He's averaging almost 4 assists per game. Now that Pascal's back, you definitely see Scotty Barnes taking a little bit of a back seat and kind of learning as he goes. He's back down for the past month, only averaging 10 points, 6 rebounds, and 3 assists. But he fits so seamlessly into any team. And I love what they're doing in Toronto and building around Fred Van Vliet and Pascal Siakam at the small ball five. you got OG Ananubi, Scotty Barnes, as well as Fred Van Vliet. There's so much defensive talent on that roster, plus a guy like Precious Achu off the bench. Scotty Barnes is in the perfect situation for him because Toronto is just going to give him all the ability to learn and create secondary offense. A huge part about him and a big reason of why he's a massive Draymond Green player comp is that he is not backing down from any challenge. Being able to guard one through five, being going out there guarding LeBron, he's switching on to John Morant. He's doing whatever, whenever it takes, and making great decisions. For the amount of that he has the ball in his hands, he's only averaging 1.5 turnovers per game. He's playing very smart basketball, and you credit that to great coaching and great organizations. Toronto Raptors have been a great organization, so you've got to tip your hat to Scotty Barnes. He's only shooting 31% from three, but the fact that he was tabbed as one of the worst shooters in the draft to be able to even hit 31% is massive. So Scotty Barnes looks like a huge, huge win for the Toronto Raptors. And for them, they're going to be a force. And they're going to be in some trade rumors because they're kind of in that middle tier of the playing tournament trying to push their way to a top six seed. But they have building blocks, man. Scotty's awesome. You have Pascal Siasim and Fred Van Vliet. So that's a trio right there that could be together for a very long time. And if they make decisions on OG and Gary Trent and maybe hit on one more draft pick, look out for the Toronto Raptors. Coming in at number two was the number one overall pick in the draft, Cade Cunningham. Cade Cunningham started off injured, got off to a slow start, and he's been very, very inconsistent. He's only shooting 40% from the field and 32% from three, as well as averaging over four turnovers a game. But when you play for arguably the worst team in the NBA, the Detroit Pistons, you kind of got to do whatever you got to do to succeed. From a pure game film standpoint, Kate Cunningham looks smooth as silk. He's averaging 16.5 rebounds, 5 assists, 6'8", 225, and just is poetry in motion. I love watching Kate play, and there was a reason that he was the number one overall pick. He is a point forward. He is essentially a Ben Simmons clone, just has all the confidence in the world to be successful. I think that Cade Cunningham could potentially be the best player in this draft, besides who is number one in our rankings, who we'll get to. Cade looks like a star playing for Detroit, and I think that for him, he can be successful around anybody. Yes, he's been extremely inconsistent, but he has no shooting around him. Jeremy Grant has shot the ball atrociously. Sadiq Bey has been a great shooting 
shooting star, but Killian Hayes has been nothing. Isaiah Stewart really hasn't played, so he has to do a lot of the work himself. But I really want to show on that game where he played against the Brooklyn Nets, where he went for 28-8-8 in a battle against Kevin Durant. And when you were going toe-to-toe against arguably the best player in basketball, that's insane. And Cade's got a lot of potential. He's only 19 years old. And with the way he's built, and I want to see how they build the team around him because that's going to be a massive testament to how he succeeds at the future level. You're going to have to treat him like a LeBron archetype, like a Kevin Durant archetype, and just surround him with shooters and defense and watch him go to work. Because Cade has a future to be a 25, 26 point per game player, grabbing six or seven boards and creating six plus assists per game. He's that type of talent. And for Cade, the Detroit Pistons have a massive, massive win. And yeah, it's kind of hard to mess up the number one overall pick. It's happened before, but when you hit on it, that's going to set you up for success for the long haul. And yeah, the Pistons suck right now, but you're going to see them turn around real, real quick. Coming in at number one, a player that is near and dear to my heart, Evan Mobley. Evan Mobley has single-handedly turned around the entire Cleveland Cavaliers team. I say that as confidently as possible. I love what Darius Garland has done. I love what Jarrett Allen has built off of from last year. But everything goes through Evan Mobley on the defensive end. He has been a defensive stalwart. There is absolute conversations that he will be an all-NBA defense first team this year as a 19-year-old. That is unheard of. That just does not happen. He is seven foot, 215 pounds, soaking wet with rocks in his pocket. He can switch on and guard anybody. He can guard truly one through five. You've seen him at the top of a 1-3-1 zone, pissing off Trey Young like no tomorrow. He switches on to John Morant. He is backing down from nobody. Steven Adams, Rudy Gobert, doesn't matter. He's doing everything. He has the lowest percentage scored on him in the paint. He has the second most contested shots in the NBA behind Rudy Gobert. And the Cleveland Cavaliers, who were the second worst defensive team last year behind the Portland Trailblazers, are now the third best defense in the NBA. That is all because of him. You have Darius Garland, who is, I don't want to say a liability on defense, but being at six foot one and has his challenges. They were starting Colin Sexton behind him. That's another six foot two point guard playing the shooting guard position. Now you're looking at three seven footers playing together. Lowry Markin, for some reason, playing small forward. It's working. Jared Allen's a seven footer. So Evan Mobley has to guard anybody and everybody. And he is doing incredible. When he missed four games this past year with the elbow injury, the sprained elbow, we were 0 4. We were 0 4 without him. Rookies should not have that kind of impact. Evan Mobley is by far and away the rookie of the year, and I will not hear any conversation otherwise. 15 points, 8 rebounds, 3 assists, nearly 2 blocks a game, and one thing that I really think that has just star written all over him that makes that really reminds me of Anthony Davis, and I know that's a massive comparison, it's that turnaround jump shot. That fadeaway, that 1-2 quick shimmy shoulder fadeaway, he can have a hand in his face. He's so long. You can't block it. He is shooting 48% on those fadeaways within 15 feet. At 19 years old, the sky is the absolute limit for this kid. 
He can do so many things, and a pairing him with Jarrett Allen and Darius Garland and the potential of what you get from a Colin Sexton trade, what you get from Isaac Okoro, what you get from Larry Markkinen, and whatever you get from a first-round pick this year. There's so much talent in Cleveland. It's going to go through Evan Mobley in two to three years. This is an all-NBA player for the next 10 years. This is an all-star for the next 10 years. If he hits on what his potential could be, you're talking about a multi-time MVP candidate year in and year out. That is what Evan Mobley gets. And to be able to get him at number three overall is the luck of the lottery that Cleveland Cavaliers have been hoping for. LeBron James is gone, and there's so much young talent in Cleveland. It is just so amazing and so exciting to be around. And for him, Evan Mobley is the rookie of the year. There's no comparison. And let's go Cleveland. NBA futures are bright for a lot of these players that we talked about today. But unfortunately, that light can burn out real quick for some of them too. I appreciate you guys coming by and checking us out. Don't forget to look us up on Spotify, Instagram, and TikTok, as well as all the social media platforms at Courtside Views. If you enjoy it, that wraps it up for today. We'll see you next time.